Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the businesses and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I speak with Emma Rose Cohen, founder and CEO at Final Straw. Now, before talking about Final Straw, I'd like to zoom out for just a second. Over the last few years, it's become abundantly clear that plastic straws need to go. And the issue is, all these plastic straws, billions every single year, end up in landfills, and even worse, in our oceans, and all of the implications of disturbing the ecosystems that are part of that. So Emma set out to create a better solution. And after raising over $1.8 million on Kickstarter, Emma came out with the final straw, a clean, compact, reusable straw that's just good. It's better than anything that's been out before. But the story takes a wild turn. After completing the fundraise on Kickstarter, Amazon and a bunch of retailers became swarmed with counterfeits. So in the episode, you'll hear how Emma and her team navigated that challenge and all of the new areas that her and her team are thinking about exploring. So without further ado, I'm so excited for you guys to hear our episode with Emma Rose Cohen, founder and CEO at Final Straw. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. Stoked to be here. So let's jump right in. What is Final Straw? So Final Straw is a reusable, collapsible straw that fits on your keychain. The idea is that you can bring your reusable straw with you wherever you go, and so you don't have to use a single-use plastic one. Is there a particular stat or visual that tends to resonate most around the problem that you're going after? Absolutely. So the most commonly quoted stat is that in the U.S. alone, we use 500 million single-use plastic straws every single day which is enough to wrap around the world 2.5 times. You know, for, for most people, a straw is a convenience and they're not actually necessary. So our way of thinking about it is that if you'd like to suck, uh, just at least suck responsibly. <laughs> I love it. So final straws is the most advanced, reusable, collapsible straw, but I'm super interested in the backstory. How did we get here? Totally. So I've been obsessed with plastic straws for a long time. When I was in Thailand in 2013, I was walking down the beach and picking up straws and would end up with this big handful. And then the next morning I'd go out, walk the same beach, end up with the same handful. That's kind of really when I became obsessed. I have a personality that's such that now I couldn't stop talking about it or thinking about it. Ended up doing a TEDx talk about straws in 2015. And then was really trying to figure out what I was going to do next when I met my co-founder who had a concept for this straw that fit in a case. So we started working together remotely. He was in LA and I was in New Mexico. You know, it just was really flowing. And so we decided to launch Kickstarter and it was really the classic Kickstarter story of two kids with an idea and no experience. Just got really lucky with the timing and worked our butts off and did a lot of work on pre-campaign strategy and creating a campaign that, that people wanted to share. And it was timing was such that it was an item that people really connected with emotionally. And I think that's why our campaign did so well. Final Straw has to be one of the most successful Kickstarters ever. I'd love to jump into some of the behind the scenes work that went into launching that. 
I know in one story you're quoted as talking about some of the the early work that you put in before launching the Kickstarter. And one of the things was you got, you know, thousands of followers before you actually clicked go live. What was that process like? Can you talk me through your thinking around that launch strategy? You know, there was kind of this multi-pronged approach. Um, First, obviously, you know, create a following of people who we know are interested in reducing waste and um, would potentially be interested in supporting our product. So we did that through a few different ways. First of all, you know, I worked really hard on creating original content for our social media page up till like 3am every night making memes. And it really was successful. I was able to get like 10,000 followers on Instagram before we launched. And that was just through creating shareable content. I think we're all when we go on the internet, we're looking for things that that resonate with us. And then you know, if it really hits a chord, then you know, we're inspired to share it with our friends because of how relatable it is. So that's kind of what I was trying to do. I was trying to make things that people could really relate with. The second part of it was creating a email collection campaign. So it's, we used a system called viral loops and basically people sign up, they put their email in and then if they can share their unique link with friends and get like 10 people to sign up, they get a free straw, but it's kind of this segmented thing where if they get one person to sign up, they get 10% off and such. So that's how we collected like 4,000 emails before we launched, which isn't that many, but I think it was 4,000 really quality emails so that the day we launched, we just started selling straws like crazy. First of all, getting 10,000 followers before launch, 4,000 emails. I mean, that that already is, you can chalk that up as material success. So you click publish on the Kickstarter, then what happens? Yeah, just to clarify, you know, we had we had an entire operating budget to launch the Kickstarter of $30,000. And so about half of that went towards product development and then like 10,000 went towards um the video. And so I had like 5 grand to do everything else, which, you know, is not very much. So, you know, you can do this on a dime and and it's possible. Um you just have to be super scrappy. $5,000. And then you click go. I am familiar with the early success, but can you speak to what happens over the first couple of days? Well, I had a full on adrenaline attack for three days and uh, couldn't eat or sleep for three days. And it was so intense. I mean, honestly, just talking about it now, like kind of gives my gets my heart going. Like it was so, so crazy to come out with an idea that, you know, most of my friends were like, yeah, cool, straw, don't quit your day job. And then the world just affirmed it in, you know, 24 hours. And, and it was just like, whoa, we're onto something. So yeah, the first few days were just bonkers, just getting inundated with emails and requests. And it was there's two of us. And now I mean, every Kickstarter campaign that I've kind of consulted with since then, you know, they've got teams of like 10. So you know, we immediately had to hire on two people to help with customer service. And And it was just, you know, it really hasn't slowed down much since then. Things have gotten a little more regular and less chaotic, but it's been quite a journey. There's tons of major press that came out the second you click go. I think one of the articles packed it as, you know, several hundred thousand were raised in the first couple of days. I know you've spoken a bit about this in other interviews, but then 
you have this interesting, chaotic issue with copycats popping up around the world. What happened there? Yeah, so I think, you know, ever since the Fidget Cube, we've kind of seen that any successful Kickstarter gets knocked off. And it's a double-edged sword because on one side, you're so stoked that the that people care about what you're doing and, and that the world is responding in such a positive manner. But then you kind of have to go immediately on defense and start fighting these guys off. So, you know, I'm not sure. And it's debatable how they got their hands on a prototype. I think that someone emailed us pretending to be media and got a prototype. And then they basically just copied it. And, you know, the difference between us and these people that are doing these things is that, you know, we had no manufacturing connections. We had literally nothing. We had 30 grand in a dream and zero experience. And so, you know, these copycats are able to manufacture products so quickly. By the time the Kickstarter ended, the market was flooded. The reaction to that is is so much customer confusion. You know, people are upset with us. They think that we're knocking them off, that we're selling them on different platforms before fulfilling Kickstarter. You know, we got called a scam. We got called all of these terrible names. And then what starts happening is that people get their hands on these knockoffs and they're junk. I mean, I have a couple here, they, they're limp straws. They're the kind of straw you open and then it's like a wah-wah sound. You know, so then I was just riddled with like overwhelming anxiety around the fact that the whole reason I created this project, because I'm not even a straw user, I stopped using straws when after going to Thailand, that the whole purpose of this project was to reduce waste. And then I felt like responsible for all of these knockoffs. And I know I'm not and whatever my therapist, you know, talked to me about it, but like, I still can't help but feel responsible for it. And it's gotten better. The anxiety has chilled out a bit, because now it's just life. But for a long time, it was really, really hard to grapple with. I'd love to hear what happens next. You, The campaign finishes. Obviously, you're still dealing with the copycats, but you now have thousands and thousands of orders to fulfill. So at this point, do you have a production partner locked down? Like what happens next post-campaign? Yeah. So during the campaign, we're so, so excited. The day the campaign closes, we're like, oh shit, we have to fulfill 100,000 thousand straws and <laughs> like how are we going to do that um so you know we started working with a design team who connected us with a manufacturing partner so we started working with them to create a new design because we needed a design for manufacturing which is very different from a prototype a prototype you know you can 3d print them they might not be actually efficient to manufacture but then you need to alter the design to actually be able to be mass produced which is quite a bit of work and took us a very, you know, a fair amount of time. Um, so once we found our manufacturing partner and and finished the design, that took till about late September, we started producing and were able to deliver some of the orders in November, which is what we had initially projected. But we encountered a little problem that we like to call Stromageddon. And basically had communication issues between the software that collected the Kickstarter data and the 3PL, where we were shipping out of, and ended up not shipping about 20,000 packages. And it was a disaster. It was right at holidays. People were freaking out, saying we ruined Christmas, getting these insane emails. One woman told us that if she didn't get her straws in time, she was going to go dump a 
bucket of plastic straws in the ocean for every day that she didn't get her straws. And we're just like, wait, what? Are you right that? Anywho, so it took us honest, like about two and a half months to clean that all up. And we had to do a ton of manual work to, to fix the addresses. A lot of non-Western characters we've sold in over a hundred countries, but we ended up doing it. So I think when you go from zero to 5 million in one year or nine months, you basically have all the mistakes that a normal company would make in like, you know, five to 10 years of building that revenue in nine months, really, really compact uh, business school on crack kind of experience. I'm here based in New York city and most of the cafes around here have those awful paper straws. Yeah. So can you can you paint a picture? Like what makes the final straw product superior? Well, the first thing people usually say to me is like, wow, this looks really cool. I get a lot of AirPods references, which I love because I love my AirPods. So it's in this really sleek little carrying case about the size of a key fob, got a magnet closure because who doesn't love magnets? And then you pull the straw out and it, let's see if you can hear it. It like, oh yeah, it's like a magic wand. Um, it's a massive wow moment to the point where when I show it to people, sometimes they'll like jump or um, scream. It self-assembles and into this very cool, sleek looking straw. The container also has a collapsible cleaning brush. So super compact, easy to clean. And you're going to make a friend when you bust it out at the bar because it's kind of impossible for the people around you not to notice what's going on. Um, so it's, it's cool. It's a really awesome conversation starter. I think that's my favorite thing about it in that it gets people talking about the issues and ultimately, you know, that's the goal. Accountability is a recent hot topic amongst my friends. You know, who should be bearing the weight of responsibility? And consensus has been consumers historically fall short at holding themselves accountable and that it's really up to industry to prioritize sustainability and for government to introduce legislation that incentivizes good behavior. Where else do you think government or industry can step up to affect change in this area? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, what drives the market is consumer behavior. So what was so interesting about this, the entire environment around plastic straws is that, you know, it kind of got kicked off with, with the single use straw ban in Seattle. But then you saw this wave and it wasn't just of legislation. It was also of corporate buy-in where, where all of these humongous companies like Starbucks, Ikea, Alaska Airlines, Marriott, they're all banning straws you know, on their own accord because that's what customers are demanding and wanting. And they're seeing that if they're able to shift their practices in such a way, people are going to be happier and they're going to get less angry emails. But at the end of the day, you know, what I'm what I'm really excited to do is get more involved in the legislation because I think that we're at this point that companies aren't responsible for the waste that they create. And there's a concept called extended manufacturer responsibility, which means that basically any product that you create as a company, you're responsible for the entire lifetime of that product. So carpet a computer, any of these random things that you use that don't have any pathways for disposal, then the company would have to take it back. 
And what that would initiate, that would, I mean, that would change everything. It would change the way we use materials. It would make things modular. It would make things easy to break down and recycle. One little known fact about plastic is that not every single plastic water bottle is made out of the same exact formula of plastic. So you've got different colorants, you've got different additives, you've got different plasticizers. All of these things come together and that's why when you recycle plastic or when you think you're recycling plastic, it's actually downgrading. So the word recycle does not really apply to plastic because the quality is always getting lowered. And generally, you can only recycle plastic one time. And even then, less than 9% of plastic ever created in the world has been recycled. And less than 1% of that has been recycled more than once. Before we transition to the lightning round, I'd love to talk about impact. How are you thinking about this at Final Straw? If we want to talk about the numbers, so we've sold 300,000 straws in you know the last year, which with some rough math, averages out to saving or reducing 27 million plastic straws, which is pretty cool. (laughs) It's like when I first started this project, it was like, I just wanted to make enough straws or sell enough straws that I didn't have to make them myself because I I made the first 200 and it was brutal. So Mm -hmm. I think that measuring impact is something that we need to spend quite a bit more time in and really coming up with more metrics and doing more feedback and and reviews and and getting more measures of what else has changed in people's life because at the end of the day I don't I don't think it's a success if someone just stops using plastic straws that doesn't feel like a success for me what feels like a success is if someone's like this straw I got 10 of my friends to not use plastic or I I stopped using plastic water bottles because this is just foot in the door. And so I don't want to measure it around the straw. That's not the problem. The problem is so much larger, so many more items. And the problem is when people think that, that by using a reusable straw, that's enough. As you and your team work to drive impact, are there any other products you're exploring? So as I go for walks with my dog, I just pick up trash. And every time I pick something up, I think about an opportunity, a redesign, an innovation, because ultimately waste is just poor design. Look at nature. There's no other animal in the world that creates waste the way humans do. There's just none of it. Everything is circular in nature. So for next products, I'm super excited about Final Fork. You know, I said earlier, I'm not a straw user, but I am a fork user and I bet you are too. And so really excited to come innovate the fork and create something that's super easy to carry, easy to clean, and that you can bring with you all the time. Because, you know, when, my, when I have friends with me and we go out to eat and they, they won't use plastic around me. And so they'll be like using their fingers. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to make a fork quick. <laughs> so yeah, that's the next product. And then, you know, just really looking at everything that we use on a daily basis and trying to figure out what can I do to make this better? And what can I do to make this something that people will really carry around with themselves? And, and pairing that with education campaigns and creating media that people want to share, that they can spread the message themselves. Love to hear it. But now it's time for the lightning round. 
I'll ask you a couple questions. We'll try to answer each in 60 seconds or less. You ready to rumble? Yeah, let's do it. So you're operating this multi-million dollar company, but you're no stranger to enjoying life, right? On your Instagram, there's photos of you riding horses across the desert at Burning Man, skiing at Whistler. What is your philosophy around work-life balance? Well, I need a daily dose of NAR in my life. So I need to get a little bit of uh, adrenaline pumping. It keeps me alive. It keeps me excited. So, you know, I generally try and devote an hour a day towards whatever it is, whatever activity, you know, I'm up in Whistler right now. So that means mountain biking in the summers and skiing in the winters. But, you know, I, my, the first year of this company, I had no balance. Like th- those photos, a lot of them were old. Um, but, you know, I think my friends and, and I'm super stoked to be more on the balance now and, and really making sure that I'm taking care of my physical, mental, spiritual self, as well as the company, because, you know, without, without my sanity, the, the rest of the team is just not as stoked. Your team is 100% remote. What tools do you use to support this workflow and culture? And where would you like to see better ones built? So we're a heavy Slack team. We all just are on Slack all the time. I think in order to create company culture, it's important to not just have your standard channels like marketing, advertising, whatever. But we also have like Pet Squad and Wins where we shout out people who've done cool things. And we have a random channel where I can be like, who's watching Stranger Things? So we can segment conversations and and make sure that we have the water cooler time and the time to kind of build connections. I use Trello for task managing and, and keeping my list together. And, uh, you know, lots of Google Hangouts and Google Drive, Dropbox, you know, all those kind of things. And then twice a year, we do a retreat. And those retreats are kind of like half looking forward and then half just like having fun and, and kicking back and getting to know each other on a deeper level. And it's like, you know, we see this kind of hockey stick movement after the retreat, everyone's so pumped up and, and stoked and, and you're able to kind of iron out any of the like tense moments that might happen over text. And, you know, we have to have calls where we talk about how do you deal with a miscommunication and, and really diving down into the, the details of, of how to operate when things aren't as clear cut as being in a face-to-face meeting with someone and being able to interpret tone and such. If you could invest in one company in the industry, who would it be? A company that I'm really stoked on what they're doing is Stasher. They have reusable kind of silicone bags that replace Ziploc bags. Big fan of what they do. And they're kind of a couple years ahead of us. So they're kind of like the big sister and and we're the little, you know, bratty brother, just like, ah, help us. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're really cool. And I think that they're, they're on to do great things and Ziploc bags, man, they're the freaking worst. So very cool to see a company that's solving that problem. Final question in the lightning round, who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? I'm a podcast junkie. So I guess Tim Ferriss, Terry Gross, Guy Raz, all the leaders of these podcasts, it's kind of university of podcasts now for me. Any drive, any walk I'm on, you get such incredible tidbits of knowledge and inspiration from 
all of these different sources and, and these interviews with these business owners. And I don't have any business school training. So I really study all of the things that these other people are doing and really look up to, to the art of the question. And, and I think that's one of the most beautiful arts out there. It's how do you get to the nut of what you're talking about? How do you get to that like juicy core where every surface thing stops mattering and you can actually like solve problems. And, and that's what I really appreciate about those hosts. I think they're beautiful at, at guiding the conversation and digging deeper. And, and that's really where what lights me up and gets me excited is when we go deep. Emma, rock the lightning round without a sweat. I love to roll out the red carpet. Do you have any final thoughts? How can people find you? The floor is yours. Definitely check us out on social media. If you want a wealth of knowledge on how to reduce your waste, check out our Instagram. Our captions are long and detailed, and we're really using it as a platform to uh, give people the tools that they need to reduce their waste across all areas of their lives. So we're at Final Straw on Instagram and at Suck Responsibly on Facebook and you know, do your part and and don't make excuses because there are options out there. And anytime you see an opportunity to reduce waste, take it. And who knows, maybe you can have a multi-million dollar business as a result. There you have it. Emma, thank you for coming on. This was such a pleasure. Yeah, Peter, thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. It really does mean a lot to us. And sincere thanks to Dan Mahoney and Lucas Arndt, who produced this week's episode, and to Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and if you'd like to recommend a guest, sponsor an episode, or help spread the message, you can find us on social at InGoodHands or our website, InGoodHands.us. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of you for your support. We really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next Tuesday.